Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by a gentleman called Chris Kelso. Chris with a K and he's fascinating listen today. Um, there's a number of things. We'll, we'll go off into the topic of desserts and we'll go into the topic of imposter syndrome. Uh, his book is around imposter and how to overcome that imposter syndrome. Uh, he's done a lot of research over his time into entrepreneurs and how imposter syndrome affects them. Um, and it's, it just is a lovely conversation today around going around different avenues in that, how to overcome it, how it links into your thinking, your experience. And this, this concept, which he talks, obviously, which is passionate to me about failing and learning and learning around that, either succeeding or learning and, and taking an experimentation view to how you uh, go forward. And he'll talk about his career and how he's, he's followed it. And there's a, a theme around side hustles, passions, following your passion and taking on a career. So I love this conversation. Could have carried on for ages uh, talking about this, but you'll, you know, I'm sure you'll feel the same that Chris Kelso is well worth a listen to. Enjoy. So how's Tennessee at the moment then? Is it Nashville you're in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just outside Nashville, and it is hot. And we have had, last week it was over 100 almost every day Fahrenheit. Wow. And uh, over the weekend, it was really nice. It was in the 80s, mm. but uh, but now it's back to pretty hot this week. So Yeah, I remember Nashville well. When I was 21, I was heading across there. I think it was to see a Whitney Houston concert oh, of all things. Nice. So yeah, very good. And where in Nashville do you live? Where's home? I'm on the east side in actually a town called Mount Juliet, which is uh okay, just yeah. just uh about twenty minutes outside of downtown Nashville. Nice. Very good. No, Nashville's a, it's all of that place. It's the only place I ever well, the first time I ever heard a uh, hurricane warning or a, a tornado warning. Tornado warning? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the radio was interrupted in those days. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty scary. Yeah, we get those. We get those. You know, a couple times a year at least. But it's funny because I know people. I have a friend in California who mm. who's t- he's just terrified of tornadoes. Doesn't want to yeah. come here because of tornadoes. And I'm like, you have earthquakes, and there is no <laughs> warning for an earthquake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it, you know, like a tornado is a very narrow path. I mean, the chances of being hit, even if a tornado comes through here, it's very, very yeah. low. But an earthquake yeah. is just yeah. it's You're immediate. Right, and and destructive and I, so mm. it's just funny everybody's afraid of what they're not familiar with you yeah. know slight shocks and other things whereas yeah people know sharks go yeah okay the certain right. ones like great whites you wouldn't go but you know right uh, most of them are okay no yes my daughter yeah. is fearful of uh earthquakes so i live in san francisco so mm-hmm. she always says well dad you're not dwayne johnson you're not the rock so you're not going to be able to save us in the middle of this so if we go to san francisco i want to go with dwayne johnson i want to go with the rock and then you he can helicopter up to me out when there's a problem and i'm like, right okay, right I'm not living in the real world but i'm not yes because because he carries a helicopter around with him everywhere he goes he in, in his pocket yeah <laughs> <laughs> on that note chris Kelso, uh do you want to just do a quick intro to the listeners about who you are because we've had a chance to, to to get to know each other but maybe just tell the people who you are yeah yeah i'm i'm a gosh it's hard to describe me sometimes i i'm a a former software developer, two-time entrepreneur, turned executive coach and leadership development consultant. Um, I'm a professional keynote speaker, 
I talk to groups all over the world. I have written a book here recently on imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and I uh, primarily work with business owners as a coach, as a consultant, uh, working on team health and strategy and and things like that. So my career has been sort of a, a twisty, turny, windy road from uh, of just really following my passions and interests, you know, Ooh. coming from being very technical years ago, um, fascinated yeah. with IT and technology. But over time, I, I became more and more fascinated with people mm. and business and psychology and how people make decisions and how we communicate. And, and so my career just naturally sort of progressed in that direction as my passions and interests changed. Uh, so I went from being a you know, a software programmer to an executive coach for business owners. And uh, and there was a lot in between there. There's a nice story there as well, though, because there's a lot of people who we come across, and we do a lot of work with technology companies, and people who want to move into our profession. They want to move into the coaching. They want to move into the leadership side. They want to move into there. Um, But there's a bit of the imposter syndrome goes with it, which is, you know, they're, they're either introverted, tech related you know yes one guy yeah. wanted to do it and sap hana was his specialty so you know really deep thinker real you know you could sit i sat over dinner with him for two hours and went into places i firstly didn't understand but then went to a different place to understand and he, he got me there but he wanted to do what we do and it's uh, so it's great to hear somebody who has done that yeah take me a step further back where did you grow up what was where was home yeah. yeah, home was uh, in Central Florida. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in Lakeland, Florida, and um, lived there for you know most of my childhood. A few years in Northern Florida, and and once I graduated from high school and sort of you know became an adult, eighteen years old, I said I'm getting out of Florida. I, I had enough of the heat and humidity, and yeah. um, not really a beach person anyway. So I I, uh, I decided I wanted to live somewhere with a little more variety in in the weather and the climate and the landscape. And so I moved to Tennessee, mm-hmm. where I live now, and I absolutely love it. I've mm. uh, been here since uh, I was eighteen years old, so you know more than half my life now spent in uh, in more of the middle part of the country. Yeah, and Nashville, source of country music and everything else in there. So, yeah, yeah, just outside Nashville. I love Nashville. I did come here for the music originally. Yeah, uh, I was involved in the music industry in throughout uh, middle school and high school, and and so I did some music production stuff and came to Nashville and toured with a band for about three years. Oh, did you? Yes, yeah. traveled all over the cool. U.S. Uh, yeah. doing sound and lighting and and things like that. I was not a musician. I was the yeah. technical guy on the road huh. doing all the sound and lighting. But, you know, some things changed. I got married and decided I didn't want to be on the road like that. Uh, but also the music industry just wasn't the future path for me. And and I realized that I had to make a change. And that's when I sort of accidentally shifted to IT and learned mm. some in the you know early days of web development, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, started building website and then landed with a big healthcare company programming and, and IT for them. Mm-hmm. So, so there again, you know, sort of following my passions, my passion for music got me to Nashville, but then that interest changed and I mm-hmm. went into technology and landed in healthcare because Nashville is a big healthcare town. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's known as music city, but it's got a huge healthcare industry, a lot of publishing, you know, bo- mm-hmm. uh, book publishing has come out of Nashville 
there's several other pretty big industries here that don't get the notoriety that uh, that the music industry does. But so that's how I got into technology. And then technology sort of led me to entrepreneurship when I founded an IT consulting firm and and co-founded another company that was a, a tech platform company. And then, as I mentioned earlier, my, my interest shifted from the tech to the business and actually got really passionate and focused about the business model and the marketing strategy and brand and, and people and organization and leadership. And, and so there's sort of a, I guess, a theme of, I have a period of my career where I'm focused on something and that takes me to a place where my interest may change, or I Mm -hmm. learn something else that I'm passionate about. And I figure out a way to to sort of mold my career or twist my career around that new passion. Mm. I'm always trying to learn and figure out how to make money while I learn. Yeah. So I have, you know, just built a career on, yeah, there's something I'm interested in. How can I make a little money doing that and grow in it at the same time and fuel that desire to learn? And, uh, and that has, uh, resulted in someone described me just the other day as a multi-layer jello salad dessert. <laughs> How do you feel about that? (laughs) Well, actually, I thought it was a great metaphor. It was a brilliant metaphor because it really speaks to many of the things that I've done. I've spent a a year or two learning a skill, developing a a particular Mm. talent, and really working on making that good before I move on to something else. And so yeah. that goes for, you know, coaching, training to mm-hmm. public speaking, which I spent mm-hmm. a year focused on becoming a better public speaker. Uh, I wrote a book, which was an entire learning journey for me because I'd never written anything longer than a couple of page article. And I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily enjoy writing itself, mm-hmm. but I, but I felt like it was something I needed to do. And the reason they use that analogy is they said, it's, it's so important to build a layer and then let it set. Yeah, you know, no, you I put the jello that. in and you have to let it set before you try to put the next layer. If you throw the fruit in too quickly, it's going to ruin the the mixture. Or if you put the whipped cream in before the jello is solid, it's all going to just become a big goopy mess. Yeah. But you you build something and you let it set and then you build something on top of that and you create this beautiful you know, you've seen those beautiful desserts that look so inviting and so gorgeous. And I think that's what my career has been is, is developing a skill set, getting just good enough to, to be good at it and to feel like I have some level of mastery. I may not be the best in the world at everything that I do. Certainly I'm not. And, Mm -hmm. but I get good enough at something to then build another skill on top of that and add something to it to the point that today I'm a, professional speaker that does coaching and consulting and I'm an author and I do, you know, 40 or 50 podcasts and webinars and things like that a year. And and I just love it. I enjoy the variety of the work I get to do, uh, but I didn't do it all at once. And that's, that's probably one of the keys there is I didn't try to do everything I do today all at the same time. I didn't start out Mm -hmm. and I didn't really set out to be an author, speaker, coach, consultant, teacher, trainer, et cetera. I did each of those things one at a time. Yeah, I love that. I'm just going through my head, so I'm not a structured layered jello and desserts. And and this goes into, you know, having lived in the US um, but come from Scotland and trifle, as it's mm. called in Scotland. Yes. Is a real 
mishmash and everything else. And I think my career was more of a mishmash than a structured set layers as I went through. So yeah, I love the analogy. We could get a dessert analogy going through for a dessert careers. analogy. That's the theme of today's show. Is the des- <laughs> which dessert are you? Which yeah. dessert? Yes. Are you a cobbler or a pie? Do you have crust on top or on the bottom? What does that mean? <laughs> Are you hard on the outside and soft yes. on the inside? You know, we could, you could take it. Yes. But it somewhere but I, somewhere I, there's a therapist building a whole new practice around this. And there's going to be, oh, there's yeah. going to be a book coming out called, you know, which, which dessert are you? And it's, it's all going to come from this conversation. Uh, that's making me hungry as well. So that's not a good place <laughs> to go. Let's, let's, let's move on. But I wanted to pick up on that because there, there's a, there's a lot, there's a great author called Christoph Savior Asks. And mm. I don't know if you've heard about his book, but it's, it's all about, you know, don't ask for something, pay it forward, build rapport and relationships. Yeah. But he also talks about side hustles and he talks about the need to have your side hustles going. Yes. So he encourages leaders to have side hustles going. And and in some ways, that's what you've done. You've taken a new passion. Yes. And you've built upon what you're already doing. So it's... Right. I'm fascinated to understand how the imposter syndrome comes in because that's... Mm. In some ways, I I used my imposter syndrome to avoid being set that's one of my excuses i have in my head so i went on to something different before somebody could find me out yeah so yeah right but where did the book come from yeah yeah so the the book so the book is called overcoming the imposter and it really is a combination of some bits and pieces of my story because i certainly Mm -hmm. have struggled with imposter syndrome over the years and uh, a collection of dozens of stories of other entrepreneurs and innovators and business leaders that I've interviewed and talked with over years and years of my career. I've been, I I worked on this book for about three years before I actually wrote it. And where the book came from, honestly, is I'm a big reader. I love to read, uh, especially business and psychology and economics and things like that. And I'm constantly recommending books to people and when this topic of imposter syndrome first came up for me, it, it was it was really helpful to me personally. Mm. I started talking about it with some of my clients and with fellow entrepreneurs. I even spoke about it at a few conferences, and I would get this great response from people saying, oh, my goodness, that was so helpful. You changed my life today. Um, I needed to hear that. And I looked for a book on imposter syndrome that I could recommend to people like me. Entrepreneurs, innovators, uh, creators—you know the the ambitious, driven, uh, creative people of the world—and I, I just couldn't find one that I felt like had the right message. There's been a lot about imposter syndrome written to women. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot written to really young people, people coming out of college and getting their first job, and and sort of you know getting into the corporate culture and environment. But I couldn't I couldn't find something that I felt like was specifically written to entrepreneurs, and so. Eventually, it became a compulsion. I felt like this book needed to exist, and it didn't. And so I had to write it. I just, I just sort of took on that burden of this needs to exist. And and I felt, in many ways, it's funny because, in many ways, I felt like this was the first time I truly was an entrepreneur, or that I identified with entrepreneurs. I had heard other entrepreneurs in the past talk about. I created this business because it needed to exist, or I, I saw a problem and I just had to solve it. Mm-hmm. And I would do this if I didn't get paid. I would do this if there were no money in it. I would. I, it's just a mission. It's a passion for me. And Colin, if I'm honest, I, I never felt that way about 
the businesses that I started and ran. Yeah. I mean, I ran an IT consulting firm because I knew technology and I had a skill for consulting and I enjoyed the work, mm-hmm. but I did it more because I liked it, not because I just felt like there was this compelling problem that needed to be solved. Mm-hmm. And so for a little while, that imposter syndrome would creep up on me because I felt like, well, I'm not a real entrepreneur because I don't see the same passion in myself for the service I deliver as I see in other people for what they do. But when this book came around, I felt that. And suddenly I knew and I sort of identified with that feeling of, I have to do this. I may Mm. not even want to do this, but I have to do this. Mm. It was a book that just simply had to be written. That's that's kind of the only way I can explain it. And uh, so it, it took me a while to figure out how to do it. It took me a while to learn how to structure it. I went through Mm. multiple iterations of the idea and how to frame it up, but uh, I hired some help. I got a writing coach. I worked with a great publisher who gave me a lot of good guidance. And I I wrote the book and have been really, really thrilled with the result and the the feedback that I've gotten from people who've read it. I want to pick up on something you said earlier on, which was because you know, I'm a big fan of Dear Evan Hansen. Don't know if you've seen the film or the musical, but... No, I haven't. But that's about teenage insecurity and, you know, social media, all of these pieces. But, um, you know, there, there's a line in there which you use early on, which is someone needs to hear this. Someone needs to read this. Yes. Someone needs to see this. And I, what I'm wanting to dig in today is because when I read a book or I talk to an entrepreneur who's got the same insecurities, mm-hmm. the same problems, the same challenges, you know, at the moment, as somebody was, uh, one of my contacts was posting on LinkedIn today about energy, you know, when the fact is that we always talk about high performance rather, rather than actually optimal levels of performance. Mm, and, you know, there's that moment where you get that energy dip and I had it today, but yeah. what you're talking about, someone needs to hear this. What I found with my imposter syndrome as I started to talk about it is there's so many people came up afterwards and said, I'm glad you said that because I've suffered from this. Yeah, I've got this exact, but there's so many different types of imposter syndrome. So I'd fascinated maybe just to give a sneak peek of some of the different types you picked up. Yeah. So, you know, imposter syndrome for anybody who's just not familiar, wondering what are these guys talking about? Because I'm I'm, yes. I'm amazed as long as this has been around that there are still a lot of people who have never heard of it, right? Imposter yeah. syndrome is the feeling that my success may not be real. My success may not mm. be legitimate. And what happens, people with imposter syndrome will overvalue somebody else's accomplishments and undervalue or even doubt the reality of their own success. And so, You know, I may look at uh, Colin and say, well, Colin is successful because he's smart and he's Mm -hmm. educated and he's savvy and he's got, you know, he has this great plan and he's executing it well and he seems to know what he's doing and and have it all together. And man, he's just really on the path. And my success, on the other hand, has involved a lot of luck and timing and and I've sure made a whole lot of mistakes and somehow just managed to figure out my way through it and you know, not all of my career has been well planned out. Some of it has happened by accident and there's been, you know, a lot of relationships involved and people that helped me along the way. And what, what essentially happens is we find all these excuses, all these reasons why my story is different than yours. So mine may be the one that's not legitimate. Interesting. Yours is great. Mine, you know, it's, if you really knew the truth about me, you'd realize that I don't actually know what I'm doing. I'm just sort of making it up as I go along. 
Yeah. And the truth is, you know, for anybody who's identifying with that, let me just free you right now. We are all making it up as we go along. <laughs> Winging with integrity. <laughs> yes. We're and figuring out. <laughs> and and we're we're learning on the fly, we're adapting mm. and adjusting, and hopefully we're experimenting and trying and failing our way to success. Yeah. And the underlying fear with imposter syndrome is that sooner or later somebody's going to figure out that I'm just making it up, that I'm really, that, that I'm not the great entrepreneur or the great idea person or the great speaker that people think that I am. And that if that happens, if someone figures that out, I'm going to be exposed yep. as a fraud and it's all going to come crumbling down. Mm. And there are numerous examples of, you know, really successful people. I think uh, uh, Maya Angelou, Noted author, you know, I think it was after her 11th or 12th book, she said, every time I publish a book, I think this is the one, <laughs> this is the time they're going to figure out that I actually, that I really don't know what I'm doing, that they're going to just say, who is this person and why have we been reading her stuff all these years? And, yeah. and so every time she felt that imposter syndrome, like I don't, I don't deserve the success that I've had and I'm not sure where it's coming from. And at some point it's got to end. Mm. That's almost like parenting, isn't it? It's it. There's an analogy here, which is nobody's got a map to this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I, that's a great point. And it's interesting you bring up parenting because somebody just mentioned the other day that this imposter syndrome, this inner critic, is sort of the the voice of our inner child, mm -hmm. and that we need to parent that child. Mm. That it needs some parenting to yeah. to correct those you know false views and assumptions and that you know, taking control of our imposter syndrome is sort of being a good parent to our own inner child and i i had never heard that uh, analogy put that way mm. before but i've been chewing on that for a few days and i think that's mm. a really interesting way to look at it yeah because there's there's another podcast that i listen to regularly and they talk about you can hear the ghost of the child rattling around in the adults yeah you know, and there's a there's a piece in there that a lot of us are still tracking into stuff that went on uh, early on. But I, I also heard you talking about saboteurs and another yes. piece that I, you know, and, and that was one of the biggest things that got me was, you know, the three judges in positive intelligence of self, others, and circumstance. Mm. When I get my 11th and 12th book published, you know, it, I'll be successful. Right. You know, uh, I am not worthy or others. Yeah. The problem with them is, and then the saboteurs that have this conversation. So what you're talking about is it's conversations in the head. Yeah. It's almost entirely internal. Yeah. It's a mind game that goes on inside of our heads. And, and, and here's the thing that shocks a lot of people is that not only is it very widespread, very prevalent, up to 70, 80%, depending on which study you look at, uh, of the population deals with imposter syndrome at some point in their career. Mm. But it, it also tends to be more prevalent among high achievers. Okay, interesting. And that's counterintuitive at first. Like yeah. you would think that I, I was talking to someone, actually, as I was developing my book, I was talking to someone about the, my book is largely written about entrepreneurs. Mm. And this person said, entrepreneurs don't struggle with insecurities. Mm. Entrepreneurs are bold and brave. They're risk takers. They're, they're, they're the ones that, that make the big moves. And, and he basically said, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to read that book because there, there's no audience for that. Mm. And statistically, he's dead wrong. Statistically, yeah. high achievers are more likely to encounter imposter syndrome. And I think I've figured out the reason why it's because mm -hmm. if you're 
pushing yourself, if you're stretching, if you're growing, if you're trying big, if you're making big, bold moves and you're trying things that the, the outcome is certainly not uh, certain or a given, mm. you're more likely to get yourself in a situation where you feel like you're in over your head. Yeah. Or you've, you know, you're, you're over your skis or you've outkicked your coverage or use whatever metaphor, you know, sports or otherwise you want to use, but you've, you're likely to get yourself in those situations where you think, man, I, I may have talked myself into something that I'm not even quite capable of doing, or I may have, you know, have taken a, a, a bigger risk than I can actually accomplish or fulfill. Um, but that's what, that's what, bold and brave people do. So it's possible to be very brave and be very insecure at the same time. And so we have to battle that inner critic that's constantly trying to tell us you're at risk. You're, Mm. you're going to fail and it's going to be spectacular. And if, if you, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't make this work, then everybody's going to realize you're a fraud mm. and that all of your past success has been a fluke because this is going to be the one that shows that you don't really deserve it. Uh, so that's, that's where imposter syndrome comes. And again, that's why I felt like I had to write this book because there wasn't something written to the very people that need it the most, which are some of the most driven, ambitious, risk-taking people in the world. Mm. And and I think there's a, there's two or three threads going through my head in that. One is, you know, when you're stretching, you're going to places that people have never been. So, you know, I've taken on two projects at the moment, and we're going after the holy grails of learning on the digital side. We're going to yeah. get people to do asynchronous learning, whatever. And people sitting in my team are sitting there going, never happened. Yeah, yeah we've tried for years and years and years. Mm. And the second thread is that beautiful quote from Ken Robinson, so like Sir Ken Robinson, the teacher, who said in his TED Talk when he was asked about a little girl's story about a little girl about the classroom, teacher comes up and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And said, well, the teacher said, well, we don't know what God looks like. She says, give me a few minutes and they will. You know what they said? <laughs> That's right. But, it, you know, when you're pushing the boundaries, there's a piece that that map doesn't exist. Yeah. So, yes. you know, you're, you're going into new territories and entrepreneurs. That's So I'm with you on that. I think there's, the, mm. there's a bit in there. But I also just go back to the childhood piece on that, which is when we're younger, we're invincible. We're, you know, yeah. for a lot of us. Yeah. We self-correct quite quickly. Right. right. But as we grow older, yeah, different case. Yeah. Yes. And and I think there's something that there too about the way we learn when we're young. Yeah. Right. When you learn as a, particularly as a little child, you know, how does an infant learn how to walk? Well, yeah. they get up and they try it and they fall over <laughs> and they yeah. cry for a minute and then they get up again and they try it again and they keep yeah. trying, they keep failing but every time they do it, they go a little bit, you know, now they take three steps instead of two and then they fall over again and they don't quit. They don't give mm. up. They don't quit trying because of multiple failures. But something about our, I don't know if it's our education systems. I don't know if it's, you know, the way we're conditioned as as youth and, and teenagers, but we we start to come to this idea that you have to learn something thoroughly before you're allowed to try it. Yeah. That you have to take the class and t- pass the test and get certified, get a diploma, get a degree, get a certification before you can do something. Mm. And you're not qualified to do until you have been, you know, rubber stamped by someone. Yeah. And 
that's not how we learn. That's not how we naturally learn. We learn by trying and experimenting and even by failing. We learn a lot more from failure than we do from success. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've, as I've learned this, as I've studied this, I've sh- started to shift my perspective and my goals. My goals are to fail more often. Yeah. My goals are to, to experiment with more things where the outcome is far from certain and where, you know, I'm going to probably make a lot of mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. But when I take something new, my mantra is I'm going to have one of two outcomes here. I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn mm-hmm. yeah. those are two possibilities. Yeah. Right. And so as long as you maintain that outlook on it, that I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn suddenly a lot of things that were fearful become really exciting and great mm-hmm. opportunities to have one of those two outcomes. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, you know, just to, to add on top of that, because Ozan Varel, uh, think like a rocket scientist, talks about learn fast. Mm, yes. And I love that as well. So it's not only, you know, I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn, but I'm going to, mm-hmm. if I can do it in short, punchy, small increments, then I'm going to learn fast. You know, I'm going to have a go at something. Yes. Yes, successful. Yeah. And even then it might be successful for one, but you might try it for three or four people that fails. Yes. That's for, for me, entrepreneurs, the more I get to understand it, so many people fail you know, 100, 150 times yep. in organizations or products before they get there, and people just can't. So how do you afford to do that? Well, well they have to take some risks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the definition of an entrepreneur is a person who takes risk because of a belief, right? They have Mm. a vision, they have a dream, and they take a risk in order to make it a reality. You know, you're onto something there, Colin, with you have to take lots of small risks. Yeah, yeah. Right? If If you bet everything on one idea, one opportunity, then, I mean, you're, you're making a big, big gamble. And, you know, and in some ways that's sort of the venture capital way is to place these big bets on these companies where a lot of them are going to fail, but uh, only a few are hopefully going to really make it big and make up for all those failures. I don't think individuals can quite afford to take that high of a risk that they do, but individually and even within our, our companies and our entrepreneurial ventures, we can make lots of little bets and do lots of little experiments, mm. right? I might only be betting an hour of my time to try something, mm-hmm. which yeah. if it turns out to, to not work, then yes, I've lost that time and I can't get it back. So it is a risk, but it's a small risk. Yeah. And hopefully the potential to either succeed or learn from what I spend that hour on is high enough that it's worth betting that hour. Mm -hmm. And then if I spend lots of time trying lots of things and then focus my time on the things that seem to be working, that's how I've sort of built that, you know, jello salad dessert is there are a lot of layers that I got started. Back to the desserts again. Yes. I started a lot of layers and decided, you know what, the the early data says this isn't a good idea, or I don't think I'm going to enjoy this if I actually make this work. So I'm going to I'm going to quit that thing and try something else, but at least I tried it. And, you know, going on the recipe analogy, I'm, I'm a big fan of that because who invented certain things? You know, who invented the best cocktail in the world? Who invented the best right. dessert or the, you know, there's a great pie chef in the UK at the Rosewood in London. Mm. And he's just brilliant, but he's, he's reinvented the pie. He's reinvented the way. Right. It's, it's so, 
you know, you can take a small and a niche area like that, experiment on it uh, and develop. And, and in our industry, you know, Chris Tuff, we mentioned before, has reinvented connection, reinvented Savior Asks. I've got another yeah. guy who's just brilliant at Chad Littlefield, who's um, connection. So you can reinvent niche pieces. And I'm always, I was always wary about going too niche because I might be out of fashion. I might not. But actually, you find if you get the right one, yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Focus, not sprinkle. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so how do you get that right one? Well, the answer is don't just pick one. Yeah. Try many, right? Try several, run Mm -hmm. experiments, see which ones are valuable, which ones resonate, which ones you have a, seem to have a knack for, and then place your big bet when you feel like you've got that pretty dialed in. Because mm. you're right, there's, there's great value in carving out a very defined and clear niche but if you only do that one time and then it's either pass fail and and you either win or lose then your chances are pretty low that you're going to succeed mm. but if you try lots of little things and then build on what works you have a much higher chance of of hitting it and then in the end you look like you were brilliant because you yeah. picked that one winner right <laughs> but as i often say it takes a long time to become an overnight success you know yeah. people that look like they just came out of nowhere and blew up often they experimented a long time to figure out how to make that happen. It goes back also to this bit, which is is prompting, because you're, you're threading something for me as well. When we talk about BHAGs and big, hairy, audacious goals, mm. one of the most releasing things that I read was um, James Clear, Atomic Habits, yeah, where he said, don't focus on the objectives, focus on the systems, build the systems. So if you've got a system of experimentation and you've got a system of relationships and you've got a system of growth, personal growth, yeah, um, and you've got a system of uh, fresh ideas coming in there, then eventually one of those will churn and produce. But if you're worried about the one, yeah, yes, it's a bit like watching the golf, you know, that um, that was happening this week. Yeah, if all you're worried about is putting to the hole, yeah, then the ball is going to go short. But if you put past the hole, as Bob Rotella says, mm. create those systems. Yeah, then the objectives can this, these big objectives can get in the way of your thinking. And, and yes, just, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, it is. And I I wanted to come back into the imposter piece because with all your entrepreneurs, there is a value in imposter. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things that was the biggest eye opener for me in writing this book, I spent a lot of time sort of, you know, going back through my own career and revisiting Mm -hmm. those moments that I felt really insecure, really in over my head when the, the, when the voice of the inner critic was, working on me. And I had this realization because I saw this pattern that the moments that I felt the most insecure, the times that I've felt the most in over my head, those were often the most pivotal moments of my career. Hmm. That was when something incredible was happening. (laughs) And it was either because I was stretching and growing. I was trying something new. I was taking a risk, uh, but I was learning along the way. Or perhaps I was surrounded by people who intimidated me, mm-hmm. but from whom there was a lot to learn, right? Yeah. I, was in, I was in good company, even though it made mm-hmm. me feel a little inferior. And so recognizing that pattern, I, I just had this, like, I had this aha moment mm-hmm. that that feeling of being insecure is not a red flag. It's actually a positive sign. Hmm. 
Yeah. It's actually a signal to me that something great is about to happen if only I have the courage to stick with it. Mm-hmm. And so I've started to I started to see that imposter feeling because I still get it. Yep. You know, even though I've studied the subject and I've written a book out of it, there's still moments when I think, oh man, do I really know what I'm doing here? Mm-hmm. And I started to see that as actually a good thing. Yeah. And to say when I if I'm not feeling that then I'm probably not taking enough risks. Mm. If I'm not feeling that, I'm probably not getting outside my comfort zone, which as we know is where all the magic happens, right? When you push yourself outside of that comfort zone, great things happen to you and for you and through you. Mm. And and that's what I want. Mm. So I've, I've learned to see imposter syndrome as something that is not to be defeated or destroyed. It's something to be managed and harnessed. Mm. And that is why my book is called Overcoming the Imposter, not Killing the Imposter, Defeating the Imposter. It's, it's not a one-time final battle type of event. It's, a, yeah. it's an ongoing process of this, this is a thing in my life, but I actually control it and use it for good rather than trying to run from it all the time or letting it control me. I love that. The perfectly imperfect comes to mind on this because if we, if we're human, we're perfectly imperfect. That's right. And we will always have foibles. And some people say, "Well, no, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good." You know, everything. Anybody <laughs> who says that to me, and I'm like, you know, okay, yeah, yep. Either your emotional intelligence is low, or you, you just, you know, you're not, you're not asking the right people. So, so this perfectly imperfect. But, but I think that that. The, the final piece I wanted just to dig into, because there's a number of people on the imposter syndrome who come to it because of something in the mind. Peter Ledro is a previous guest on here, yeah. talked about his dyslexia. And therefore, that caused him to worry about him. So he always came from a humble place. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, certain people's physical attributes, you know, disability, whatever else causes them to come from imposter. Yeah. And for me, there's a power in that. There's a power in coming from a place that's, you know, and and overcoming, not you know, not getting rid of, but overcoming some of that. Was anything in the book that relates? To- yeah, I think that's really what you're talking about is the difference between insecurity and fear versus humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a section in the book where I talk about the difference between proud insecurity, where you're sort of overcompensating with pride mm-hmm. for a for a, an internal fear or insecurity. Versus what I call humble confidence. Mm, And that is the ability to say, I know that I have limitations, Mm -hmm. but I believe they can be overcome. Mm. I know that I don't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. but I believe that working together with the right people, we can figure out the answers. I know that I'm not always going to be right, but I believe that I can learn and experiment and fail my way to success. That's, That's a humble confidence that says, I'm not Superman. I'm not mm-hmm. perfection, but I can be perfectly imperfect. As you said, I can, yeah. you know, find my way and I can be continually improving and growing. And I don't have to pretend to be anything that I'm not along the way. Mm. That's a humble confidence. It's not, you know, thinking terribly about yourself. Um, I, I define humility as not thinking any more or less of yourself than you should. Mm. Uh, so it's not humiliation, thinking really low of yourself and and debasing yourself. It's it's just a right, honest assessment of 
your strengths and your weaknesses, your skills and your gaps, your successes and your failures. And and then coming to that with a, enough confidence to say, I can continue to grow and improve. And these the, the, the way that I am today is not the final version of me. I'm still yeah. working on that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I just go to The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, which is yes. if we're playing the finite game. No, infinite game. Exactly. Life is a you know lifelong learner. I have the privilege of sitting next to Ken Blanchard nearly every year. One Ooh. of the you know deep thinkers in leadership, but one of the lifelong learners who just sits there and you know knows he doesn't know it all, but. God, he does, but he's got wisdom. I think he's so much wisdom. Yeah. And it comes from that believing and being honest that you don't know it all. Yeah. You know, the more we learn, the more we realize how much we have to learn. (sighs) But I think the opposite is true. The more you acknowledge how much you have to learn, the more capacity and potential you have to learn. And you can gain more wisdom by admitting that you don't have it all than by pretending that you do. So it's a two way street. So ending on the dessert note, so it's about settling and it's learning and it's growing, but it's yeah. it's the side hustles, it's the passions, it's the growth towards something. Yes. And then it's having this perfectly imperfect mindset around the imposter um, to work on it is is my my summary of the general themes from that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the last piece I would add to that is that, you know, you're building your own version of that jello salad yeah right you don't have to try to mimic the other successful people you see around you can learn from them Mm -hmm. just like you use the chef analogy right you can learn from other people's creation but ultimately you're making your own unique thing Mm -hmm. and and if i just tried my entire career to follow colin's recipe and build colin's business and colin's life i would end up with something that wasn't a fit for me yeah. and that i wasn't uniquely made for and gifted at and and it wasn't a fit because i'm trying to fit into i'm trying to fit my hand into colin's glove i'm trying yeah. to fit my personality into colin's work and brand and passion and and drive and it and it's not a fit so you know, we have to find the balance between recognizing the value of learning from one another and growing mm-hmm. together, but also realizing that I'm on my own path and I'm mm-hmm. building my own career and I don't need to make it like anyone else's. And I don't need to compare myself to anyone else's to assess what my value is yeah. um, because mine is mine alone and it is unique. And, and that uniqueness is what makes it special. And I don't want to destroy that. Yeah, no, I love that. Makes me quote Monty Python. We're all different. I'm not. Yep. And it's, (laughs) yes, it is the bit that when people realize that they have differences and they have a unique secret source that it can be out in the world, it's just about finding that. And whether that's making coffee and connecting in the morning, like I have a couple of people who just make my day when I go serve them coffee, or it's the Mm. CEO has runs thousands and thousands of people. It's that unique secret source. Uh, Chris, it's been a delight to have you in the, on the, the podcast today. And if people want to find out more about you, how do they, how do they do that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. It's been great, man. I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I'm easy to find if you can remember that my name starts with a K. It's K-R-I-S-K-E-L-S-O, chriskelso.com. I'm Chris Kelso on Twitter, LinkedIn, and you can find me on a lot of the social media platforms, as well as the book is Overcoming the Imposter, and that's at overcomingtheimposter.com. So it's easy to find that one as well. 
Brilliant. Well, I wish you uh, good luck on the next layer of the Jello salads, whatever mm. that will be. Don't know whether it's going to be cream you. or Jello or whatever is going to. Yes. Be oh, I got some good things in the works. It's going to be fun, and some of them are going to succeed, and others are just going to be learning experiences. So we'll see what works out. And if anybody's tuning into the podcast now and they're wondering what the hell we're talking about, listen to the beginning. It's well. Yeah, you got to rewind. Yeah, start <laughs> over, and you'll get it. <laughs> Chris, look forward to talking soon. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Take care. Well, I've never had a conversation on a podcast around desserts, but I think the analogy of layer desserts and, and careers about settling and having go at something settling but following your passion, following your side hustle and going forward is, is a great analogy in there. And, and the book and the conversation around imposter, for me, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to, to read it to understand a bit more about how, how you're thinking, because a lot of us who are entrepreneurs feel exactly the same thing. We're waiting to be found out. But I love the, uh, the analogy we got into around the map and that a lot of entrepreneurs and successful people are stretching themselves above and beyond what other people are doing. And therefore, there's no map for that place. And the imposter comes from the fact that you've got nothing to compare it to. So there's a piece about being found out. There's a conversation in there around that. There's a bit about exploring new territories as an entrepreneur, finding your passion. All of those are great themes. I, I loved it. Look, hopefully we'll get back Chris back on uh, to talk further in, in terms of his research and his work in there. But uh, if you're anything like me, I love those types of conversations. So I hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to hearing your feedback. <laughs>